Today on the Central Baptist Podcast, Tom Cowan looks at the heart of the Ten Commandments and why they matter in modern life. Now, here's today's message. Imagine if I gave each one of you um, today a three by five card and asked you this week to go and interview some people. Um, if you find a policeman somewhere, stop them. Don't, please don't do that if they're having a coffee break at Tim Hortons. My sons and son are cops. They hate when they're having their coffee break and people want to talk to them. Don't do that. But find a policeman. Maybe you find someone who's in social services or a teacher, someone in education, university prof, or someone who's over 65. And the question that you have to ask them is this. What do you see as the main problem in our society today? I think we get a lot of different answers. But I have a feeling that there would be a common thread weaving its way through all of our responses. And the thread would find its way back in one way or another, I think, to a general lack of respect in our society that we experience today. I know the police have sensed that and um, education does. And so I hope that we're seeing in the Ten Commandments that this list is not some relic of outdated advice. It has a lot of relevance to our life and society today. Those first four commandments that we've dealt with so far are usually said to deal with our primary relationship with God. And the next six that we start today address our social structure, really, in our society. And so the one we do today is just one verse. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is, your God is giving you. In our English language, we have a lot of very abstract words. Words like freedom, words like goodness, virtue. And they usually need some context to give them meaning. But in Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament... There's often a concrete side or picture that you can put alongside words. And they add, add some meaning to it to help us understand what the word really means. And the word honor, the, the picture that they would add to that in the Old Testament, the picture you add to honor is to weigh something heavy. You know, we sometimes describe some people as shallow. So it's the opposite of that. A truth as substance. It's an idea that's solid. It is weight. It's not a thin veneer or superficial. Rather, it is heavy in the sense of importance. And so we're generally called to honor people, to, to give them respect. We're called to value people, to esteem people, to treat their opinions and their ideas, words as heavy. It's having weight or substance. Now, almost immediately, you get a sense that there would be people starting to resist that idea. Because there's people come to our mind, it might be parents, might be a father, relatives, teachers for whom we do not have any respect. We just say, there's no way. We just declare that we cannot respect them. We may have a specific incident in our minds, our lives, and our past to do that. So what, would you do, with, what do we do with this commandment? Let me suggest to you this morning that there are two truths that have to go together 
and they create for us what I will call a circle of honor or a cycle of respect. And it's this coming up. I think, I hope. There it is. Okay. And the first top of it is that we respect people above us. And I mean by that, that people like police and judges, teachers, and so on. On the basis of who they are, their position, not on what they do. You understand that? The first movement in this circle is to understand that we're called to respect and honor people because of who they are. It means the position that they hold in society. If you go to court sometimes for something you find when the judge comes in, you stand. And you stand out of respect and honor for them, but what they represent in terms of the law. We respect those in authority because positions that they have, that's people in law enforcement, the police, judges, as I said, in our court system, government, teachers, leaders, they have positions of authority. And first of all, we were asked to respect and to honor the position that they have in our society. That's the basis of who they are. It doesn't mean they don't do everything right, but rather the position that they have and the position that they hold is to be respected. That's one half of the circle. The other half of the circle is this, that those people have to earn respect on the basis of what they do, not on the basis of who they are. You get that? They have to earn respect on the basis of what they do. Example, we expect to honor the police by virtue of the position that they hold. But every individual police officer who deals with people has to earn respect on the basis of how they behave and act towards people in specific situations. The same is true of teachers. The same is true of politicians, of pastors, doctors. We extend respect to, the, to their position, but they have to earn respect by their behavior in each and every situation, in each and every person. As we say... They can't throw their weight around. Remember, honor is heavy. And so we are expected to honor those in government on the position, on the basis of the position they hold, but every elected official has to earn respect by how they act and behave incident by incident, issue by issue. And when they abuse their position and they misuse power, they diminish and they erode that honor. And so these two dynamics operate together in a cycle of honor and respect. And if there's a breakdown and erosion of honor in our society, it will come in some way for the combination of these two things breaking down. We fail to honor who people are. We, they fail to honor how they earn it. In contrast, God's people are expected to live in a way that challenges the lack of honor in our society. We are called in our community and in our world to reverse that erosion. We are called to hold people heavy. So how do we earn respect? It's not by our position or title. It is by our own behavior. Here are this morning just four headings. Leaves a lot behind. But here are four headings to help us unpack this cycle of respect. We would say, first of all, that we earn respect by the way in which we respond to those who are above us. 
it seems to me today that those who accept any kind of, any kind of leadership, leadership of government and the church or whatever, almost are placing themselves on the firing line. Leadership bashing is almost an Olympic sport. There seems to be a growing disrespect for all kinds of levels of leadership. And what happens in this negative attitude towards leadership, it makes its way into the community of faith. So the spiritual leadership may also be looked on with disdain, disparagement. We don't accept them. Excuse me a moment. First Peter chapter two says to Christians who were living in very difficult times, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king or to the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. That pretty much gathers it all together. Now, the emperor that Peter is referring to is very probably Nero. Nero was known for torturing and killing Christians. Nero was not a very nice man. Yet Peter challenges Christians to obey, to accept the demands of this pagan government over them. Paul writes to Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, says Paul, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. Later in this section, Paul says of these, these secular rulers and leaders, he calls them the deacons in our society. We thought deacons was a word that was only used within church. Paul says, these people, um, the building down the road from us, are the deacons over us. There's a call to children, honor your father and mother. And I realized that some parents may have failed to be all that they could have been. Understand that. We respect employers because of the position they hold. It does not mean they do everything right. But we are not responsible for how they treat us. We are responsible for how we respond to them. In a society which has largely lost respect for the police. I remind you of several recent incidents. The case of George Floyd. May 2020, Minneapolis. And the subsequent backlash against law enforcement. Two policemen killed recently in Innisville in Ontario. And here in Burnaby, a few weeks ago, a female RCMP officer stabbed to death. <laughs> so for those in government and many levels of leadership, God's people are to be marked and known as people who nurture an environment of respect and honor for those who are above them. That does not mean, by the way, that there's no place for disagreement or dispute. In our democratic society, we have ways to disagree long before we get to civil disobedience or anarchy. We have avenues to vote, to lobby, to participate in dialogue and discussion. 
Again, Paul to young Timothy. I urge you then, first of all, that requests and prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all of those in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Another dimension. We earn respect by the way in which we treat those who have less than us. One of the vital ways that we earn respect is the attitude and the demeanor we display to those who appear to have less than us. Having less may mean socially. It may mean financially, intellectually, morally, or a dozen other ways. We may be better dressed than they are. We may have more money than they have. We may have a better education, but we treat everyone with respect. Some years ago, I was reading a book. I do that occasionally. I read books. And, and there was a sentence that absolutely stopped me in my tracks. It doesn't happen a lot. But there was a sentence that absolutely stopped me in my tracks. And I stopped and I read it again and again and again. And it was this. Christianity does not have a moral base. Do you understand that? Christianity does not have a moral base. It means that the base, the foundation of our Christianity is not based on our morality. You've got to agree with that. Every time we sing amazing grace or amazing love, that's what we're saying. That the basis of our faith, at the heart of our faith, it is not based on our morality. It is based only on the saving grace and love of God. No one at that place is better than anybody else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Isn't that amazing to know? So the question then is, how do we look at people who have less than we have? Do we look at them as though we're superior or better in some way? Surprise, surprise. That was the problem in the New Testament. James, uh, probably the little brother of Jesus, says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord and Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man comes in, shabby clothes, he also comes in. If you, suppose, if you show special attention to men wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with even thought, evil thoughts? And James is playing with two ideas. First of all, we're judging people externally, how they look. How they dress, how they act. We have no, uh, no idea where their heart is at before God. And secondly, we are displaying a wrong picture of God. Our understanding, our understanding of God is distorted. We're painting God as a God who, di who displays and favoritism. This great characteristic of our God is his complete impartiality. The passage in James has so much more to say to us, but that'll have to do for the moment. 
So the church that judges people, accepts people on the basis of social status or wealth, any other criteria, is a church that is out of step with the nature of God. We need to reflect the twin graces of his impartiality, also the gift of his acceptance. Christianity does not have a moral base. It has moral expression, but not a moral base. As I said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and the church must be the one place that honors those who appear to have less. In fact, the challenge of the scriptures is that those who appear to have less, the poor, the children, may in fact teach all of us more in the kingdom of God than the rest of us. When we treat people with respect, especially those who seem to less than us, we're presenting an accurate picture of our God. Third idea. We earn respect by the way in which we treat those who are ahead of us in the really of faith. Um, in our, our book um, many years ago called What is a Family? Edith Schaefer Francis and Edith Schaefer had a Christian um, thinking place in Switzerland. And young people often who were trying to find themselves but find their way to to for lectures and talks. And in one of her books, Edith Schaefer says, she, she uses a number of images to describe a family. And one of the pictures or images that she has of a family is that of a really race. And in this really race, Edith Schaefer says, we pass the baton of truth on from one runner to another. And she says, there's three groups of runners all around us. Ahead of us are our grandparents and those who are more senior in life. Ahead of us means simply older, senior in the faith. It means our parents and our grandparents. It will also include those who are senior in the faith in this community here at Central Baptist Church. And running alongside us, along with us, are our spouses. Coming behind us are our children. That's the really of faith in the family and life. And God does not see us as, as people living in isolation from one another. He sees us as an unbroken line living from generation to generation. So how do we regard these people as heavy? Treating them as men and women and people of substance. How do we do that? Some ideas. Uh, practical ideas. First of all, we're to care for them materially. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn first to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and repaying parents and grandparents. This is pleasing to God. So the first level of material care lies with the family. That's what it says. But there's other levels of care too. Things that move along with us. We're to care for members of our family emotionally. I think that means things like cards and notes, texts these days, calls, visits. That demands time. And we will do that if we hold people heavy. If we treat them with honor. It's a Sunday phone call or a note through the years, whatever it is. And thirdly, we have to care for them spiritually. I think the scripture means that we have to listen to their wisdom and take advantage of the seniority of their years. We're to learn from the walk of faith that they've had. We're to encourage them to keep growing in grace. 
Now remember the context of this commandment. Honor your father and mother. It's given to people who are going to take a long walk in the desert. And you're going to enter a culture which is ruthless and harsh. And here's the deal. You either walk or you get left behind. You work or you starve. You fight or you die. There is no room in the culture for the weak and the old, the retarded, the aged. There's no room for those who cannot contribute to the tribe, as it were. No room for those who, are, who might get left behind. But in this harsh and cruel society, there is to be a people who have a different ethic, a different attitude towards the elderly. We'll look at this again next morning. It was to be a spirit of care, a spirit of gentleness, of compassion. So in this redeemed society, those who are a little slower have to be regarded as perhaps also being a little wiser. And so society honors them. It weighs them heavy. And lastly, we are to respect by the way in which we honor those who are our partners in the life of faith. In First Peter, Peter writes, Husbands, that's a lot of us here. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partners, heirs with you in the grace of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Peter says, wives are the weaker partners. Let me try to explain that before someone gets upset and attacks me. When Peter says the wives are weaker, he does not mean morally. He does not mean spiritually. I think, frankly and honestly, that many women are much more spiritually sensitive than men. It does not mean intellectually, because women are just as bright and just as capable. But can I say generally, Generally, most women have less physical strength than men. Although, please remember that they're the ones who've been chosen to give birth. Weaker also reminds us that most women in society in the first, second centuries were much more vulnerable than today. You see, there was no place, no economic safety for the single woman, the woman who was divorced, or the widow. These women were, as they often are today, more vulnerable financially, socially, in society. And the essential point that Peter is getting at is to those of us men who are married, is that our wives are our fellow heirs with us in the grace of life. And they are nothing less than our gifted sisters in Christ. And they are to be given honor by us. Someone once said to me, Tom, I wish you wouldn't see everything as a man. I'm sorry, that's kind of all I got. The only way I can see things is as a man. So ladies, please allow me this moment of grace and ask, how do we as husbands honor our wives? How do we do that? Well, 
I believe we honor our wives before our children. That means, guys, in the way we speak to our wives at home and in the way we speak about them, our wives ought not, ought never, to have to defend their honor as mothers in front of their children. Husbands and fathers, that's our job. We teach our children to honor by modeling how we treat their mothers. I believe we honor wives before other people. Again, it comes to the way that we talk about them before other people. And we honor our wives, our sisters in Christ, by our actions. I don't think the age of chivalry is dead. I believe that we open doors for our wives and all other women. I believe we help them with their coats. I am well aware that women are not helpless to do these things. But we show honor and respect. In a hundred small ways we're saying, I value your companionship in the walk of faith. You see, most marriages do not end in a single act of unfaithfulness. But they end because of thousands of tiny acts of silent neglect. We just stop trying. We become careless. In a thousand acts of thoughtlessness, tiny cracks start to break a relationship and honor begins to slip and fall through these cracks. I say seriously to us, all Christian men, husbands, should treat all women who are their sisters in Christ with respect and with honor. Because of the grace of God, as men, we must not be afraid of our masculinity, which sometimes asks us to be strong, and sometimes it asks us to be gentle. When we live reflecting honor to people, standing in this cycle of giving respect to people on who they are, earning respect on the basis of how we act and live, you see, we're respect, we are reflecting the character and the nature of our God. So Psalm 8 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, what is humanity that you're mindful of him? What is the son of man that you care for him? And the psalm finishes, not finishes, but it pauses over this. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You know the rest? And you crowned him with glory and honor. God regards us heavy because we're made in the image of God. God weighed us heavy when Christ came into the world. God weighed us heavy when Christ died for us and took the sin and the weight of the world on our shoulders. Who else could do this but the father of fathers who honors his children? In the final analysis, we learn what honor is and what it means to honor God who crowns us with glory and honor, who regards us as heavy. Would you stand with me, please? The worship team is going to come. So, Father, this morning, 
with that word echoing in our minds. Forgive us for the times that we have not treated people with respect. Those who are above us in government or whatever. We have not treated with respect those who walk beside us. And we have not treated with respect those who are less than us. Teach us this week to walk differently, to treat people heavy and with weight because you have treated us way heavy and you have made us in your image. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.